welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. We'll be talking today about caregivers. I'll be joined by Ilya Vedrashko and Carolyn Stevenson, both from the Global Insight Group here at Cineos Health. Caregivers, up next on the Cineos Health Podcast. Carolyn Stevenson, Ilya Vedrashko, welcome to the Cineos Health Podcast. Hi, thanks for having us. Hi. And just tell me, uh, Carolyn and then Ilya, what is it that you guys do? So I'm the team director for the Global Insights Lab uh, here at Cineos Health, and we are really focused on generating deep, intuitive human insights that we can effectively apply to our clients' business. So we do that centrally throughout the lab, but we also partner with all of the agencies in our network and really help to infuse some insights jet fuel into their client engagements. This is through psychology and surveys and other things, I assume? Yeah, many inputs. Research done by Ilya's team, behavioral science, market context, strategy and digital, many different things. All right. And Ilya? I set up the communications research group. We conduct studies that help us understand what makes people behave in the way that they behave. We're talking today about caregivers. Maybe it would be helpful. Can you just define for me, Carolyn, what is a caregiver? So a caregiver is somebody who uh, looks after a patient who is in need of ongoing care. Um, everything from management of a chronic condition to you know, a much more serious disease that requires a lot of hands-on oversight and administration throughout the experience. The insights that you looked at specifically are around caregivers. Caregivers obviously matter, but how much do they matter? So they matter quite a bit. When we look at the sheer size of the caregiver population, uh, at least from the most recent data sources that we have, which unfortunately are from 2015, um, tell us that there's about 43.5 million caregivers in the U.S. that have provided some level of unpaid care to an adult or child in the last 12 months. So the sheer size of that population is enough to make us want to take a closer look at them. And then when we try to think about the impact that all of that unpaid care has on our economy, we know that about a quarter of that population spends about 41 hours or more per week providing care. And then if we were to try and put some financials against that, that amounts to about $470 billion, um, which uh, is fairly close to sales of the world's largest company, Walmart, which had $477 billion in revenue. Um, so the impact here is uh, very sizable, and the, the functional, emotional, and economic impact of caregivers is just palpable. And they work a full-time job caregiving, it sounds like, if they're 40 hours a week. Well, it's interesting that um, 25% or so of uh, caregivers put in uh, about a full-time job's worth of, of caregiving work, but the majority of caregivers are also employed full-time. So the amount of time and energy and effort that they're putting into this um, is significant, especially when stacked up against all of the other job, personal, uh, and other responsibilities that they're dealing with in their daily lives. So we have a global market that's about the size of Walmart, so substantial global market that's out there. It's important for pharma companies and for healthcare in in general. That explains, I think, why you wanted to go out and um, talk to caregivers or understand what they what they what motivates a caregiver and what needs that they have. Is that 
Can you just describe what it is that you did, Ilya and Carolyn? The question that we wanted to answer in our research was, if we're to talk to caregivers, how exactly do we talk to them? There have been other research, there have been tons of other research on caregivers before that dimensionalized the problem um, that provided a lot of the statistics that Carolyn just mentioned. We wanted to take that research a step further um, and make it more useful for the frontline marketers who have to devise communication strategies uh, for speaking with caregivers. So that, that was the, probably the primary focus of our research. What is it you actually did? We filled it an online survey with about 1,000 caregivers to adult patients. And then we asked them all sorts of interesting questions about what it's like to be a caregiver. So let's start there. Carolyn and Ilya, what did we find? I mean, we've talked to a thousand caregivers, which is a very high N indeed, and asked them what matters to them and how important they are. Can you talk about their influence? Sure. I think that there is a misperception that caregiving is a silent struggle, a thankless job. But what we found is that caregivers are actually quite influential When we think about the fact that 80% of consumers trust opinions or recommendations of family and friends, influence as a principle becomes really important. And so that's why we really wanted to elevate this aspect of the research and highlight why it was so surprising and interesting and and relevant. Uh, And what we found was that caregivers are very influential on two different dimensions of decision-making around the patient experience. They are influential in making transactional decisions things around just a day-to-day patient experience, whether they should visit a medical professional, seek a second opinion, where to purchase medical supplies, things like that. But they're also very influential around some of the more longitudinal decisions that patients are faced with making related to their condition. So caregivers can have a primary or secondary decision-making role around things like how to make a lifestyle change, whether the patient should switch or continue their treatment plan, whether or not a patient should participate in a medical study or drug trial. So it's very clear that they're influential across a broad spectrum of the patient experience. Was it your opinion when you got done with this research that caregivers, when there's a caregiver involved, is the caregiver the more important decision maker than the patient? Are they about equal? What's your take on what you've learned? having talked to a thousand caregivers. I think in many cases, calling caregivers influential is understating their role. In many cases, caregivers are the decision makers, especially in, in the therapeutic areas where the patient not necessarily is able to make the decisions for themselves or in a position to do so. In many households, the caregiver is the, we can call them the chief medical officer. They're in charge of making those decisions that we sometimes think the patient is in charge of. So when we think about influencing patients and giving them information about, say, a pharma product, we should be thinking, at least in cases where caregivers are involved, the caregiver might be the one that we were trying to influence. Am I reading that correctly, or am I going a bit too far? No, that's exactly right. Well, that changes how I think about caregivers, I have to admit. What do we find? One thing that really struck me when we started to dig further into the topic of influence is that we are able to delineate high-influence caregivers versus low-influence caregivers. We can then use this to target and message the high-influence caregivers directly, engaging them as if they are the primary decision-maker, and then with the low-influence caregivers, 
any messaging approaches that we take should include their care recipient in the conversation or the frame of reference. So we know a little bit about who are the high-influence caregivers. They tend to be employed full-time. They're giving care for a longer period of time. And then we know a little bit also about channel preferences. So high-influence caregivers send some signals that they are more attuned to traditional channels like radio, newspaper, out of home, whereas the low-influence caregivers use channels like TV, email, online touch points more frequently when they are seeking out information related to their patient or their patient's condition. Let me pause you there for a second because that surprised me and confuses me and worries me. We have to reach out on radio to high-influence caregivers? Yeah, I think what the data are telling us is that when we asked high-influence caregivers, where are you going for information about your patient's condition or trial info, things of that nature, radio is a channel that they cited as a go-to. Ilya, I don't know if we have any more context around what they're specifically looking for there. I love that interjection because I think it highlights the primary motivation behind the study. We cannot believe that people listen to the radio because we necessarily don't listen to the radio ourselves. You know, we listen to Pandora, we listen to Spotify, but we are not, when we're designing communication programs, we're not targeting them ourselves. We're targeting them at other people, trying to get into the shoes of other people, trying to understand what it's like to be them. I think that's what the study was designed to do. And the fact that people listen to caregivers or high-influence caregivers listen to the radio is probably the least surprising for our findings or the least revealing one. <laughs> that changes how you think about how you might reach out to these people. It's not um, not as high-tech, internet, social media-centric approach. It's beyond the radio. And what were the other channels that you suggested they really follow? They're also looking at newspapers, out-of-home, magazines. So I think the other important thing to remember is that we don't have to go all in on radio, that we need to look at the entire array of options available to us and figure out which is going to be the best mechanism to deliver whatever message we're trying to convey at any given point in time. We do. We have to go back to the numbers. But to go back to the radio for a second, radio has a high penetration rate, meaning a lot of a lot of people in America listen to the radio. So it's no surprise that among the high influence caregiving segment, there are also a lot of people who listen to the radio. So I don't think the conclusion is radio works better than online. I don't think that's what we've established. It's just that the radio shouldn't be dismissed just because we don't listen to the radio. But I think another important point to make here is that we have enough information from this study that we don't have to treat the caregivers as this one large surf mass audience anymore. There is no such thing as an average caregiver. We have enough information to get a very granular view of their media habits, of their preferences, of their mindsets, so that we can create a segmented and very detailed and differentiated approaches to uh, talking to them. So what is it we learned about how we can talk to them? Setting aside the channel, radio, newspapers, magazines, and others, how do we talk to them? Just to give one example, what, what we found out that would help us to start adding more nuance into our communications with caregivers. That being a caregiver is stressful is not a secret anymore. That's just about every study talks about the high stress that caregivers are under. That's, of course, understandable. What our study has contributed to this conversation is the is understanding of the nature of that stress. Right? Not all stress is equal. Some caregivers are stressed because they're overwhelmed. Some caregivers are stressed out because there is no help inside. 
some caregivers are stressed because it's just they're in a sad situation and they cannot cope. So understanding the sources of the stress is important first step in trying to help alleviate it. We also know that not all caregivers are stressed up. If an average caregiver has a stress level of six, for example, on a 10-point scale, that means some caregivers are stressed at the eighth point, uh, but some caregivers are stressed at the fourth point. So some caregivers have less stress and some have more. So that's also another level of granularity that we can derive from the study. For me, one of the interesting takeaways to that point about stress and how we begin to engage caregivers is the notion of the relevance of the message. And one thing that we've learned from this research is that relevance is a function of mindset. So whether that message is relevant to me is very tied to not only my external circumstances, so what is my caregiving situation, but it's also very tied to my personality and my mindset. So even if Ilya and I are both caregivers and we share that same circumstance, there's no guarantee that the message is going to be equally relevant to both of us because we have very different personalities and very different mindsets. So that's a really important point to keep in mind. If we're slicing and dicing caregivers and trying to message to them with messages that are relevant to them, that seems hard when we're talking about the high caregiver group. Well, the interesting thing about when we think about high-influence caregivers versus low-influence caregivers is that that is very connected to where the patient is in their journey and their experience. Some caregivers may vacillate between those two groups just depending on where the patient is, the level of support they need, the type of care that's being given, things of that nature. So it is not uncommon to see people kind of jump between those two groups throughout time. So to that end, when we think about putting out messages that are going to be relevant to any individual caregiver or group of caregivers, another tool that can be really helpful is thinking about how we can apply behavioral science to that. And we talk a lot about the two motivational styles of achievers versus defenders. And if we use what we know about these mindsets and motivational styles, that can really help us hone in the message. Achievers tend to be people that are motivated by hopes, dreams, aspirations. Defenders tend to be motivated by mitigating risk, avoiding loss, things of that nature. And 25-plus years of behavioral science plus our own Cineos Health behavioral scientist experts have shown us proven messages and tools and tactics that work when we are trying to reach achievers or when we are trying to connect with defenders. And these messages and tools that have been proven help us to drive the right behavior for who we're trying to connect with. It's almost like thinking about a behavioral way to segment caregivers. Are they in an achiever motivational style or are they in a defender motivational style? And again, that might flip depending on what kind of day they're having, how stressed they are at any given point in time, things of that nature. So we can divide the different caregivers up into these different motivational styles and message differently to each of those based on what they need or what matters to them. Is there something universal that we heard about context or empathizing with getting the signal out there? That's an interesting question and a great point to bring up because I think as marketers and communications experts, we tend to put out words and pictures that are on brand and that we think are very clear, but because 
everyone is bringing a different context, personality, mindset, motivational style to the table, that signal sometimes gets scrambled. So we need to be sure that what people are hearing is what we've intended to say. So one thing that we did was put forth an image and asked our survey respondents to share what they saw in that image. It was a silhouette of a woman sitting on a beach with her head in her hands. And without a headline, without copy, without any kind of context around the image, it left it very much open to interpretation. So we got a lot of responses around hopelessness, loneliness, but a lot of other responses that were of an entirely different nature and on the opposite end of the spectrum. Even that one exercise showed us that when you don't provide context, for example, maybe that image was intended to elicit a feeling of peace and reflection. But when we don't tell people that or give that kind of context, then it leaves a ton of room for interpretation. So are you saying that we should or should not leave that room for interpretation in our messaging? I think we should just be aware that this phenomenon exists, that there is always going to be a scrambling of signal between point A and point B, right? And whether that's a desirable effect, that's up to individual creative directors maybe to decide or strategists. But I think just knowing that not everything that we're putting forward is going to be interpreted the same way. I think it's an important piece of knowledge. Is this true of caregivers specifically, or this is just a general case of people? No, people project their own experiences onto stimuli all the time. I think the experiment that we did with this survey with caregivers, it just brings it forward in a very dramatic fashion. But that's a very natural process that happens all the time. And I think that's one generalizable learning for us as professional communicators. So we've now gotten a piece of information on how we know that caregivers are influential and that we need to understand their mindset because maybe something's relevant or not to them. And they have this different personality behind them. And we now know that when we give them a message that's a little ambiguous, they can read what they want onto it or read different things onto it at least. What do we do with all this? At the very least, the companies that already run pre-testing go a little bit outside of the questions like, hey, did you like this message or is this message you need? And ask people how exactly they understood the message in front of them. I think there are three things to keep in mind. Number one, brands should look at ways to vary their messaging over time to the point about relevance being a function of mindset, personality, things of that nature. It's important to shake up the messaging and have enough flexibility in the brand messaging framework to be able to do that. Number two, I think that it's important to always be specific in terms of what we want people to do with the image, with the information, with the message that we're putting out there, because absence of context can scramble the signal that can really derail the action that we're trying to drive. And then the third thing, I think it's really important to test and adapt messaging regularly. Having an always-on A-B testing program is never a bad thing. It helps you learn more about your audience, about what messages are resonating, where you're seeing wins. You know, it's fast and cheap. That should be an always-on component of a marketing or a communication strategy. And I think those three takeaways are really key to what we learned from the research and, and how to engage caregivers. Is there anything else that you found within the study or that you would like to talk to more generally about caregivers? Is there anything else specifically that a pharma company needs to know about caregivers that we haven't discussed yet? Well, one thing that I think is another important piece of context is that a lot of the conversation 
in the biopharma space right now is very focused on the notion of patient centricity. And I think coming off of this research, we have come to believe that patient centricity is really all about cultivating patient empathy because we can't truly understand how patients feel and we can't truly put patients at the center of all we do unless we are really carrying that sense of empathy forward. And there truly is no one who demonstrates and lives empathy like a caregiver. So they are a population that we can learn a lot from in their own right, but are also a very important piece of the puzzle to understanding the whole patient experience and how we can be more empathetic toward that. Carolyn Stevenson, Ilya Vidrashko, thanks so much for joining me on the Cineos Health Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. If you go to today's show notes, you'll see a link to Ilya and Carolyn's paper. It's called, Who's Really at the Center? What We Can Learn from Caregivers, The Missing Link to Patient Centricity. That's all for today's episode of the Cineos Health Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stewart from Cineos Health Consulting. If you have comments, suggestions, questions, or if you just want to talk to a particular challenge that you have at your life sciences company, you may email me at podcast at sineoshealth.com. That's S-Y-N-E-O-S health.com. We're consultants. That's what we do.